Welcome to Smart Talk. I'm Scott Lamar. Today is the first of many Smart Talk broadcasts that are on location throughout the region. It's called the Smart Talk Road Trip, and we could be coming to your neighborhood in the very near future. The idea is to discuss and highlight issues relevant to the Mid-State and Pennsylvania overall and engage you and your neighbors in the conversations. Today, we are broadcasting from the Lancaster Amtrak train station, and our focus will be on transportation with an emphasis on rail and bus commuter transportation and the transportation challenges facing cities. Our first guest today is Toby Favre, who is Deputy Secretary for Multimodal Transportation with the Pennsylvania Department of Transportation, PennDOT. Secretary Favre, welcome to the program. Good morning. Thank you for having me. Today's Smart Talk Road Trip live remote broadcast is supported by Rogers & Associates and Michaels Motor Cars. Pennsylvania has a long history and heritage with rail transportation. Uh, The Pennsylvania Railroad was once the largest uh, railroad in the world. Uh, I wasn't aware of it until I saw your website that uh, Pennsylvania actually leads the nation in the number of railroads uh, of all the states. But it is different today. What role does uh, passenger and rail service uh, play in Pennsylvania? Sure. So um, we're very fortunate in Pennsylvania to have the Keystone service um, that operates between Harrisburg and Philadelphia and the Pennsylvanian service that operates between Pittsburgh and Philadelphia through to New York City. Um, we've there's been a long history of investments made in passenger rail in Pennsylvania uh, to protect that service and keep it keep it operational. And we've turned the corner on the Keystone service in that people are using passenger rail. There's a renaissance of it. We're hitting all-time ridership highs. We're hitting revenue highs. And we're starting to see reductions in the amount of subsidy we're having to put into that line. So it's, it's a good story to tell on the passenger side. On the freight side, um, Pennsylvania, um, when Conrail started divesting itself of its assets and cutting a lot of the shorter lines, the state of Pennsylvania stepped up and purchased some of those lines, took ownership of them, and began to invest in them. And we started with a rail freight grant program <clears throat> to invest in those lines, and then eventually divested those lines, much like we did with some of the airports, sold them to private operators. Um, and many of the short line railroads that we have, the regional line railroads we have, are a result of the PennDOT stepping up and purchasing many of those lines and preserving them. And, and uh, it plays an important role in helping our businesses and companies to be successful, um, keeping their transportation costs lower. With that long history, though, uh, a lot of the equipment, a lot of the track, everything is old. That infrastructure uh, needs to constantly be maintained. Mm-hmm. Uh, it has to be repaired. That is something I, and one thing I'll mention right up front is that uh, PennDOT uh, made and adopted uh, a rail plan last year. It's a plan that, that will go for the next 25 years, or at least that's uh, at least to 2040. Um, so with that in mind, what do you do? How do you keep up with that infrastructure, keeping it maintained? keeping it uh, repaired. Sure. So on the on the I'll start in the rail freight side and shift over to passenger rail. On the rail freight side, we have a grant program and we're one of one of just a handful of states that has a grant program that helps to support smaller operators and um, we make available about 40 to 45 million dollars every year uh, for competitive grants to help keep the railroad repairs. You say we, you're talking about the state. The state. Okay. Um, PennDOT. Um, but we make that 
we make that available through competitive grant program, and we focus on economic development, job creation, and taking trucks off the road as, as key criteria for awarding grants. Um, on the on the passenger side, um, we've we've been focused on upgrading the Keystone Corridor line. So much of the infrastructure that's out here is still from the Pennsylvania Railroad. Um, in 2006, we completed a major overhaul of the track. Um, went from stick rail to continuous welded rail. And for people who rode the train before 2006, it used to rock back and forth and, and move pretty slow. When we upgraded the, the line, we also went back to electric tr engines. Um, we were starting to hit 110 miles an hour then. What was it before? What was top speed before? Um, before it was about 75, 80 miles an hour. Yeah. Yeah. So would 110 count as high speed rail? 110 is the, def is the federally defined uh, threshold you have to meet to, to operate at high speed rail. I yes. hope that we can talk about high speed rail because even though it's 110 miles per hour, uh, you know, I think there are many people who think of Japan, uh, European countries and think of high-speed rail and that has been a dream of Pennsylvania a goal for so long hopefully we can talk about that sure but so the infrastructure that's interesting that the infrastructure the tracks uh, around since the Pennsylvania Railroad days some of it now the 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 2006 project really replaced most of most of the track repaired a lot of the track we still have some interlockings that need work Harrisburg interlocking called state interlocking is under construction right now. That was a $40 million project and will increase the track speed and the smoothness of the rail coming into the Harrisburg station. So this morning we got on the train in Harrisburg and rode here to Lancaster to come for this, uh, for this event. And, um, and the track coming out of Harrisburg, we were on the new track coming out of Harrisburg and it's really smooth compared to what it used to be. You used to have to rock one into Harrisburg. So. When, since you're so close to this, uh, when you're on the new track, do you say, oh, see how smooth that ride is? I did this morning with the person <laughs> I was riding with, because it's, uh, it's um, the first that I've actually been on the new track. Um, I haven't been traveling much lately, and, um, and it's, it's really nice. Well, you have to take your family on there yeah. and say, and tell them this is the new track. How's technology changed rail transportation? So, um, there's largely been technology overlays. Um, if, you, if you look at the rail cars that we're operating, they're 40 years old. Um, the engines are new. We've just been re been replacing the engines, but still largely the same technology with uh, computer computer overlays, GPS technology, Wi-Fi, and and more modern more modern electronics added to the older technology that's there. Mm -hmm. It sounds as if. Uh... I mean, for so many years traditionally, we think of the engineer operating the train, that that person now would have to be skilled in technology. Um, very much so, yes. And we're one, one other feature of technology, we're adding, um, investing in a lot of safety technology that's geared around um, automatically slowing trains down to speed limits and, and helping to control um, traffic, helping to control traffic for safety purposes. Train travel is safe. Whenever there is uh, some kind of uh, accident, like there was in the Midwest uh, earlier in the week, like we had in Philadelphia last year, mm -hmm. it becomes big news because it happens so rarely. Sure. I mean, so the safety, it sounds from what you're saying, safety is a priority. Sa safety is the number one priority in railroad, in the railroading and railroad culture. Absolutely. It's, it's, um, 
There, there's a tremendous amount of effort. There's a lot of cost associated with um, maintaining safe operations, doing safe pro projects safely as well. Now, you said you talked about some of those things, but what are, and this kind of goes back to what I asked earlier about how the trains are different. Uh, safety, I, I assume, is a big part of that, but besides the automatic braking and that kind of thing, what other safety features? So, um, a lot of the other safety features that um, we're investing in or, or, or doing right now are focused on stations, um, mm -hmm. improving, improving safety of access, um, accessibility onto the train. We're building full-length high-level platforms now. So Elizabethtown Station's been completed, but for those who've used Elizabethtown Station, you can, you can walk level board right onto the train as opposed to needing to go up and down steps and things like that. I'm going to be jumping around on sure. you, but I'm following your lead here. Uh, you mentioned that there are several stations that uh, have been upgraded or there are plans to upgrade them. Elizabethtown is completed. That was money that came from the federal government a few years ago, yes, uh, part of... Uh, uh, stimulus. The, right, part of the federal stimulus. But uh, Mount Joy is one I know that has been trying for a long time to upgrade yes. their station. Coatesville is another one. Yes. Most often when we hear about those station upgrades, we don't hear as much about safety as we do uh, economic development. Sure. That many cities, many municipalities, many places where the train stops look at it as this is a way that we're going to develop our, our city, our municipality. Sure. So what we're, <clears throat> we've, we've been starting all of our station projects with a planning process called a design charrette. And we work in the community, closely with the community, to try to understand what the economic goals of the community are and how the station can best be designed and integrated into the community. Um, Mount Joy is a good example. Um, there was a, prior to um, us getting involved, there was local efforts going on to plan for a Mount Joy station. And a lot of the effort was geared around building a parking structure because there was a need for parking and they were looking at building a parking structure right at the station. Some of the downtown businesses were concerned about building a structure because everybody's gonna drive in, park in the structure, get on the train, get out, and they're not gonna take advantage of what Mount Joy has to offer. Um, meanwhile, there's a lot of parking that exists, church parking lots that exist during the week that aren't used much during the week, um, that needed work, stormwater investment, um, things like that. So we partnered with churches to rebuild their lots. Um, got long-term leases on them, rebuilt stormwater systems, sidewalks, um, and so those church parking lots are the parking for the station during the week and used by the churches on the weekend. And it was much more cost effective than, than building, this, building a parking garage and that helped accomplish some of the goals of getting walking, you know, pedestrian traffic into downtown. We have a live audience uh, looking, uh, witnessing our broadcast today and uh, they've sent a couple questions to sure. you and one has to do with the uh, stations. Uh, many passenger stations are decrepit except Lancaster and Harrisburg 33 station. Parking is horrible. Any plans to improve station parking? Absolutely. So um, Mount Joy, um, we've got leases on the church parking lots already. Um, the station project is uh, planned to go to bid this summer and probably in two years. Um, we'll see a brand new station in Mount Joy that'll connect to those parking lots. Middletown Station, um, we had to uh, acquire a new piece of property. The middle, old Middletown Station's on a curve of the railroad. We can't meet um, the Americans with Disabilities Act uh, building new platforms on a curve. So we had to locate, uh, find a new station location. 
we acquired enough property to to quadruple the amount of parking that's available um, there, and we're going to we're going to improve pedestrian infrastructure to make it easier to walk to that station. Can I interrupt you for sure. just one second because we did have a, a question having to do with uh, Harrisburg International. Uh, this has is a plan that has been in the works for years. Has had to be I don't want to say abandoned, but at least walk away from it in some way. Uh, multimodal current plan for Harrisburg International train station or bus integration. Sure. So um, it, there, there was a plan that PennDOT had um, to build a new station at Harrisburg International Airport. And there was also a station, there still is a station in downtown Middletown. Um, when, when that station plan for Harrisburg International was done, that was before 9-11. It was before the changes that had to take place at the Harrisburg Terminal. When they built the new terminal in Harrisburg, the station had to be moved. We ran into problems with right-of-way, um, especially with Norfolk Southern, and trying to get enough land to be able to build a station there, and costs went up drastically. Um, at the same time, the borough was concerned about losing a station in the downtown and not having walking access any longer. So um, we took a step back and did a study. Um, did this design charrette process and selected a site that is at the end of the long-term bus shuttle route for Harrisburg International, will provide pedestrian access to the Penn State Middletown campus and pedestrian access to downtown Middletown. And it's not perfect for any three, any, any one of those areas, but it's a good nexus point for all three of them. So what's a, what's a deadline for that? What we so, so there is going to be, we own the land there now. We've been going through the process of acquiring property, and that's often difficult. Um, but we own the land there now. So we have a project uh, that's going to start this summer um, doing the site work available on the land. And it's also a point where the Middletown and Hummelstown Freight Railroad, Norfolk Southern operates, and Amtrak operates. So we have some some track reconfiguration that's got to take place to make room for the station and hopefully that's going to start this fall. So bottom line is if I live in Lancaster County want to take the Amtrak train from Lancaster and to take a flight out of Harrisburg International I'd be able to do that? You will be able to do it when the station project's done but you'll have to make a bus connection using the long-term parking bus to be able to get to the station or be able to get to the airport. We have another question from the audience and it is especially timely, uh, as many of our listeners probably know, uh, there were terrorist attacks in Brussels this morning. A question from the audience is, what kind of safety measures are being made to prevent terrorism on trains and at stations? Sure. So um, l largely it's, it's geared around security. And so you'll, you'll um, see moving around in the station today, there's Amtrak police presence. Um, Amtrak has its own police force. Um, SEPTA has its own police force in addition to what the city has. Um, and then there's other security measures that, that, that are in place, cameras um, and other types of detection devices that, um, that the transit agencies have been deploying. They run through a lot of exercises. Um, they have cooperative effort, efforts going on with other local police and, and uh, state um, state law enforcement offices too. On a day like today when there has been a terrorist attack well publicized, uh, is security stepped up? Um, yes, generally there is. There is stepped up security. Had another question from the audience. Any plans to extend SEPTA rail service to a larger area of southeastern Pennsylvania? Hmm. 
So um, there are multiple studies going on right now um, within the SEPTA system. There's a study going on to, um, to um, provide rail service out to the King of Prussia Mall. There's a study going on to uh, provide subway service down to the Navy Yard. Um, and there's been several other studies looking at um, additional rail service and bus, uh, busway type service um, in and around the Philadelphia area. Um, it all takes money. And um, with passage of Act 89, um, the comprehensive transportation legislation, SEPTA finally had um, a shot at, at uh, repairing and, and rebuilding 80 and 90 year old infrastructure. So they're in the process of helping to achieve state of good repair and, and meeting requirements of the Americans with Disabilities Act while they're trying to plan for the future. Well, you touched on my next issue. Part of that real plan is to identify stable and predictable funding. I think that's a, a challenge that everyone in government has, no matter what level. Have you been able to do that? Yeah, so uh, that's a really bright spot in the area of public transportation. In 2007, and, and then uh, with Act, passage of Act 44, and then again with the passage of Act 89, in 2007, we were able to create a public transportation trust fund. So we have, instead of fighting for general fund money every year, there's a dedicated source of revenue from various tax sources that go into the trust fund to support public transportation. Passenger rail is a portion of that. Um, Act 89 enhanced that, made it the capital funds that never came true out of Act 44 because Interstate 80 tolling didn't happen. Um, and so there is a public transportation trust fund with dedicated funds, and it's now our job to kind of manage that um, funding program to help ensure sustainability into the future. Well, Secretary Favre, we're going to keep you around for our next segment when we talk about uh, bus transportation as well. You're listening to Smart Talk on WITF, your home for NPR News and all things regional. I'm Scott Lamar. Welcome back to Smart Talk. This is the very first Smart Talk road trip coming to you live from the Lancaster Amtrak train station. We're talking about transportation today. Thousands of Central Pennsylvania commuters travel on buses each day to get to work, shop, or to just get around. Even though most of the counties in our region have reliable modern bus transportation available to them, routes are constantly being studied for ridership numbers and efficiency. Plus, there never seems to be enough money. Red Rose Transit in Lancaster County and Berks Area Transit merged within the past year and a half. Other counties and transit authorities are looking to do the same. How has the merger worked out? Our guest is David Kilmer, Executive Director of South Central Transit. Mr. Kilmer, welcome to the program. Thanks, glad to be here. And Deputy Secretary uh, Toby Favre will uh, stay with us during this portion of the program because he does have that word multimodal uh, in his title. I understand that's a new uh, title that you've got. Yes, sir. Oh, okay. We'll have to ask you what multi multimodal actually means. Okay. <laughs> I'll start with you, Dave, though. Okay. Uh, the merger. As I mentioned, Red Rose Transit and BARDA in Berks County merged. I just saw within the past two weeks that there are a number of other uh, transit authorities in South Central Pennsylvania that may be looking to do the same. At least they're studying it. So how has the merger worked out? Well, I think the merger's worked out really fine for us. Um, it was something that it's a year old now. Uh, there was a lot of cost savings that were identified. Uh, because of Act 89, there was an incentive for the counties to merge, and any of the savings that came from that, they were able to reduce their local match. 
Now, can I interrupt for just one sure. second? Because Secretary mentioned Act 89, and a lot of times we throw that around. Mm -hmm. But for those who aren't familiar with it, that was the legislation that was enacted a couple years ago that provided funding uh, for transportation in Pennsylvania. I'm curious, how did Act 89 give you, you just said that uh, it gave us an incentive to, to uh, be more efficient, to find savings. Right. So what happened was both the boards from Red Rose and BARDA got together um, and I won't go into the whole history of it because your show's only an hour. <laughs> uh, but we were able to identify enough savings so that both Berks and Lancaster counties were able to save their entire local match that was required for their state funding, which was over $780,000. In fact, we were able to identify closer to a million dollars worth of savings. And a lot of that was through some duplication of efforts with staff, uh, some economies of scale from merging the two systems because together we have a budget of about $32 million. So we are two of the larger mid-sized systems in the state that merge. So we were able to take advantage of a lot of that. So the taxpayers saw an immediate relief. So was money, is that what drove the merger? Well, money and the fact that um, the executive director at BARDA unexpectedly passed away, so it left them kind of in a crisis situation. And I had worked there a couple times for five years, so they asked me if I could help out. And so through an interim management deal, um, we were running both organizations anyway, and the board had the option of either hiring a new executive director or looking at merging. And the end result was they saw the economies too, and they thought if we can save taxpayers money, then that's our job to do it, and we merged. All right, besides money, what other changes have there been? And I'm thinking logistically, I'm thinking about routes, passengers, all those things. Well, one of the big things we didn't want to do is that um, make it difficult for our passengers. Both systems already had a real good identity in the communities, so we didn't want to change that. So the service in Lancaster is still the Red Rose Transit, and in BARDA it's referred to as BARDA Bus. So we kept those identities, and we didn't want to spend needless money trying to change the identity of those services. So we kept it the same. And now South Central is more like a management company that oversees the operations in both places. Mm -hmm. what, what are the challenges that, uh, I, I mentioned money, but mm -hmm. uh, what are the challenges that a transit authority like yours faces? Well, uh, I guess the biggest challenge is always money, having enough money to do the services that the community wants. And, you know, we look at it like you said in the beginning, we look at the performance, and that's one thing that we really strive to do is look at the performance of all the routes and the services that we're providing and make sure we're doing it in an efficient way and understanding what the needs of the community are. Uh, the other biggest challenge we had was really staffing-wise, uh, trying to merge the two staffs together to a cohesive unit and having the same goals and structure in place. But it did make it easier on the compliance side, though, because rather than now having both agencies having to do separate compliance things for both the federal and the state, we were able to do one unified compliance action, which saved a lot of money. We have a question waiting for you. 
uh, Dave, from okay. the audience. Uh, why doesn't Red Rose Transit not stop at the train station and meet the trains to take people back into the city of Lancaster? The trolley seems to cruise there and never stop and wait. Uh, the, the trolley schedule was designed to meet the train arrival and departure times. Um, oftentimes, if you've seen the front of this train station, it's usually congested, and so there's not a lot of places for the trolley to really sit there a long period of time. And if there's no one at the bus stop waiting, then we don't have them sit. Uh, there's, their departure times are scheduled to be after, like five minutes after the train arrives to give people you know, the time to get from the train to the trolley. Mm. Um, right now, we, we run during the peak hours, in the morning and the afternoon, to try to match up with, with work schedules. Uh, Secretary Falver, uh, I kind of joked about uh, your title, multimodal, uh, but that does include more than just rail. It does include bus transportation and uh, freight rail and so many other forms of transportation. One of the things that uh, I think is very noticeable today is that we are trying to integrate our transportation, our transit systems. And again, I go back to that rail plan from last year, that that was one of the goals, is to integrate transportation throughout the state. Talk about that, integrating transit systems with bus, rail, um, even w being able to walk, bicycles, that kind of thing. Sure. So <clears throat> my, my uh, title is multimodal, and I just describe it as everything but highways. Yeah. Um, because it really is pretty broad. Um, we've got the three ports, the freight rail system, bicycle and pedestrian um, improvements and planning, um, passenger rail, um, and, and bus transportation. There was a term years ago that um, with the original 1991, I think, legis federal legislation uh, for transportation that was called Ice-T. Um, and then we went through all the T's, T21 and whatever. But um, the first, first uh, word that tied to the I was intermodal. Intermodal is the connections between modes. Um, and um, we've been focusing on how we can maximize the efficiency of our transportation system for quite a while. We aren't in a position where we can build a lot of new interstate highway systems, build a lot of new road capacity. Um, or build a lot of new rail capacity, it costs a lot of money. And so what we've got to do is focus on efficient connections and mac maximizing the benefits of our entire system. Mm -hmm. Today's Smart Talk road trip is live from Lancaster's Amtrak train station, and the broadcast is being supported by Rogers and Associates and Michael's Motor Cars. You know, highways, when most people think of PennDOT, uh, they probably think of highways and automobiles, sure. trucks, right off the bat. And, I mean, that is a big part of, of your responsibility. But the two of you are actually trying to get people off the highways, correct? Correct. Yes. Talk about that. Don't look at you. So Just tell me. I, I, uh, <laughs> you know, we, we are trying to find ways to make uh, public transportation easier, simpler, um, and better to use. So we, we have been uh, focusing on, you know, it's really hard to read a bus schedule. If any, any, anybody has ever sat down and tried to understand a bus schedule that doesn't normally use public transportation, would have a hard time figuring it out, may give up and go find a taxi. Um, so we've been working on trying to develop applications to make it simpler and easier. We have one called Find My Ride PA, which is, which is uh, um, 
currently covering parts of South, South Central Pennsylvania, but we're collecting information and looking to expand it statewide so people can put in where they want to go from and where they want to go to, and it'll provide back all the options that are available to you um, and print out basically a trip tick, or you can get it on your smartphone and get a trip tick on how to make those connections, including walking time um, and cycling as options. Yeah. And one of the things that we just implemented in Lancaster and in Reading was a new um, automatic vehicle locator system and with a smartphone app. So you can get on our website or get on this app and you can see exactly where your bus is in relation to where you're standing. So, and that's tried to relieve that unknown of, Jesus, my bus on the way in the winter time, is it being delayed? I mean, you'll be able to get right on there and see exactly when it is. And one of the things we're doing right now too is we're going out and actually decaling every single bus stop that we have with the unique identifier on it. So when you call in, if you put in that bus stop number, it'll tell you exactly when the bus will arrive at that stop and give you the next two times. So all that's to try to improve the service to the public and try to make it easier to use the bus rather than their car. That sounds like the same technology PennDOT used this winter uh, for snowstorms when you had right. snow plows out on the road to you know, where the snow plows were located. Dave, what do you tell people who say, well, you know what, I'd much just, I, I feel better riding in my car, I can turn the radio on, I can take my time, I can drink my coffee, I, I don't want to deal with other people or the schedules and all that. How do you sell people to, to use transportation, public well, transportation? Well, the same thing with us, it's, it's all about money. Um, I always try to get people, well, at least try it for a month. Uh, you know, all the studies have shown that you can save substantial amount of money, five to $6,000 a year by switching to public transit instead of using your car. And you find that a lot of the people on the bus are in the same boat and uh, friendly. Uh, we have a lot of, everybody knows everybody on the bus and it's a good atmosphere and give it a try. I know one of the benefits that both of you talk to uh, people about commuters about is the environment. Mm -hmm. And uh, that, you know, we take more cars off the road, that uh, it's not uh, polluting the air as much, we don't have as much congestion on the highway. you know, many people also probably think of the old-style buses that they sat behind with the diesel engine and the right. black smoke coming out. Buses aren't that way anymore, are they? No, we're running uh, hybrid electric buses right now that are getting 30 to 40 percent better fuel economy. And with the newer engines, the black smoke is, is gone from those. And it's a much smoother ride. Uh, we've eliminated the transmission by using the electric drive and it just saves a lot of money and it's still cleaner for the environment. We had another question from uh, the audience and we could talk about uh, rail and bus here. Any plans to more easily connect Lancaster and Baltimore by train, talking about the BWI, the airport and Washington DC? Do you wanna take that one? Sure, I can try. Um, there, There have been various studies I think that have looked at um, connections um, um, south uh, via rail. The only real option you have today to to uh, head down to BWI or or if you're going to go by rail is to take Amtrak to Philly and then go south and then 
and then uh, make a different connection to, to go to BWI. You can do it, but it'll take uh, quite a bit of time. Um, and I think there's, there's merit in it looking forward in the future as, uh, as the region continues to grow. It's just right now we're trying to rebuild what we have. Well, yeah, and I don't think we want to go back 150 years, right. but as a history buff, I often think about uh, Abraham Lincoln uh, on his, uh, before his inauguration, went through York, went from Harrisburg to York to Baltimore, and uh, then, then down to Washington. Sure. Do those tracks still exist? And I, I assume that they're not usable now, if so. Right, rights away exist um, in, in a lot of places, and in some cases there's track in place that are used by freight lines. Um, sometimes a misconception about passenger rails, a lot of people look at track that's out there and think, well, we, all we have to do is buy a train and put it out there and, and it'll be there. Um, and it's not quite that simple. Many of the right-of-ways are owned by uh, private companies um, and uh, they're, they're significant cost to upgrade them to make them safe for passenger travel. Mm -hmm. uh, I mentioned earlier, and Dave, you can weigh in on any of these, these things if, you, if you'd like, but uh, we, we talked about high-speed rail. I remember going back to 1980 with uh, Senator Arlen Specter talking about high-speed rail mm -hmm. at that time. And even though we do have trains that uh, travel at faster speeds, we don't have that European model, that Asian model sure. that we're so used to seeing. Will that ever come to Pennsylvania? Um, I hope so at some point in the future. Um, there's been a lot of talk about it. Um, we recently completed a high-speed rail study um, to look at high-speed rail between Harrisburg and Pittsburgh. Um, it cost about as much to build that capital cost as what the entire state budget is. It was over $30 billion. Wow. Um, and we know how the budget has gone. There's significant realignments <laughs> that would have to take place and significant costs because in order to run super high-speed uh, passenger service, you have to separate it from freight and other services. You can't operate it with that traffic. Freight, and let's talk about that uh, briefly. Coal is the commodity that was most often hauled around Pennsylvania on, on freight trains. Uh, coal, we know, is at least it's still a big product here in Pennsylvania, but it's kind of taken a back seat to natural gas. What about natural gas hauling around the, the, the state, and is that a big part of freight transportation, freight rail in Pennsylvania? Not so much natural gas directly, but there are, are um, other compounds that are, that are carried on our freight, our freight network. Coal traffic is down significantly, um, percentage-wise, and intermodal traffic is what's really growing. It's consumer products. Um, and because oil prices are down, even the crude oil movements that we were seeing, you know, even last fall have dropped off substantially as, uh, as oil prices have come down. We had a question from our audience about the safety, with safety being such a priority. One of the real concerns is about the safety of those tanker cars that are carrying oil or, you know, some other hazardous, hazardous material. Uh, what's being done to make sure that uh, they're safe? Sure. So, um, the, the biggest biggest thing to go with safety of those cars, well, part of it's um, improving car technology. So if there is crashes, you try to mitigate, you know, the results of an accident. Um, but the biggest thing we can do is prevent accidents from happening to begin with, and that's by improving infrastructure 
um, reducing the age of the infrastructure um, and ensuring that ties are replaced on time, that uh, interlockings are well managed, and that we upgrade um, our signal systems to get modern signal systems that will help to control train traffic. I want to thank uh, both of you for being with us today. Uh, one final question for the two of you, the future. What are we looking at in the future? I mean, I, I, know, I read every day about self-driving cars, read about the traffic congestion on the roads, and Lancaster is not like a city like Philadelphia that has huge congestion, but there's, there are certain parts that are congested on a, a weekday morning. Uh, what does the future look like for transportation in Lancaster County and uh, in uh, Pennsylvania? So I think um, the future is going to be tied largely to what's What's the next generation of people? What do they want in transportation? And if you look at, at um, people that are graduating from college today, cars aren't as important as what they used to be. Um, I know a, we had an intern last summer that worked for us that, that graduated and now has a job um, working um, at another company in Mechanicsburg. And he started using the bus to come work for us last summer and he's still using the bus. He can afford to have his, he's got his own car. He can afford to, to drive his own car back and forth to work. He's using the bus. Why? I asked him why. It's, it takes a little longer on the bus, but he's got a lot of time on the bus to catch up on things that he wants to do. And um, it's saving him money, wear and tear on his own vehicle. Um, I think that we're gonna see uh, um, driverless cars in the future. We're going to see uh, more technology applied to our road system. We're going to see more technology applied to our rail system. Our hope here is that we're going to, we're going to be able to continue to add more service um, on this line between Harrisburg and Philadelphia and the service west of Pittsburgh um, in the future and uh, make better connections with buses. Mm -hmm. Getting a lot of questions about parking. Dave, and, and from a bus standpoint, uh, I think there's a real movement nationally you're seeing to almost totally electric vehicles. Uh, and I hope my dream has always been uh, that we would have a bus that would basically not require any fuel at all. We have 640 solar panels on our facility mm -hmm. where we're generating about 60% of our electric there. But I could see a day where a bus could have solar panels on its roof and be powered solely by that. Um, I think the technology's getting close. The, the main hindrance right now is batteries and the span and mileage that can go, but I think that's going to be overcome here soon. Wow. Riderless cars, solar panels on buses, that, that, that sounds like some kind of futuristic uh, movie. Uh, Toby Favre is the Deputy Secretary for Multimodal Transportation with PennDOT, and David Kilmer, Executive Director of South Central Transit. Gentlemen, thank you very much for being with us today. Thank sure. you. Thank you. You're listening to Smart Talk on WITF, your home for NPR News and all things regional. I'm Scott Lamar. Urban areas, suburbs, and rural areas all face transportation challenges. Many of them are the same. However, cities may be, have more challenges just because they have more people. Joining us during this portion of the program is Charlotte Katzenmoyer, who is the Director of Public Works for the City of Lancaster. Ms. Katzenmoyer, thank you for being with us today. Good morning. All right, let's start off with uh, the basic question. What are some of the challenges facing not just the City of Lancaster, but cities overall? I, I think the main thing that we're seeing is a lot of people wanting to move back into cities. Um, so before there was an exodus 
back to the suburbs. Now we're seeing people who want to, and young people who want to move into cities. So they're demanding more infrastructure in terms of walkability, bikeability, and um, similar to uh, what uh, Deputy Secretary uh, um, Toby mentioned, far that uh, you know people. Young people are not wanting cars, so uh, they want to live in urban, walkable communities. Okay, so how, what do you do about that challenge? How do, you, uh, how do you meet that challenge? Well, I think we need to, the city particularly, is uh, we did a walkability study. Uh, we had a national expert uh, come in and do a walkability study for the city to look at how we can improve our infrastructure to meet those needs. We are also um, working with a consultant, um, Alta, who will be preparing a bike study, a bike plan for the city uh, to determine where we can install um, infrastructure for biking, such as trails, which would be multimodal, so it would be both for recreation, um, perhaps uh, even connecting to the goat path um, out to Leola. Um, goat path is Route 23? Route, the, the, yeah, the Route 23 that was uh, never constructed. Right. Um, so plans to connect those linkages um, that will get people who want to live in the city and may work out in the suburbs. Um, so we're looking at not just providing those infrastructures in the city, but also um, out to the county. I think you answered this question, but uh, we had a question from our audience about what the city and actually the region was doing about uh, constructing bike and walking paths. But uh, one part of this question that I would like you to touch on, and that is uh, connecting with the multimedia, the multi, I'm so used to see multimedia, that's what we counter, so WITF is multimedia. Multimodal, I'll get that out. Uh, connecting with this multimodal form of transportation. Well, one of the things that the uh, the bike the uh, walkability study uh, recommended was to have some type of circulator within the city that would connect to the train station, getting um, people into the city, connecting to the bus station. So um, one of the recommendations was looking at how to implement a circulator, um, similar to the the uh, trolley system, uh, the rubber wheel t uh, trolley system but also having that be more frequent, have other stops, and you know, connecting in terms of multimodal accessibility. All right, what comes first? This is almost a chicken or egg kind of question. Mm -hmm. What comes first? Do you have people saying, we want bike paths, we want to be able to use our bicycles more, more often, many more ways, we want to be able to walk places, or does the city say, We'll offer these, and more people will come. Yeah, that's that's been debated all over the country, and uh, I and so many people have said, well, why are, why is the city investing so much um, in in doing a study and uh, and implementing bike bike paths? Um, so we we believe, and I think that cities that have implemented bike um, bike lanes and um, cycle tracks across the country have seen that if you build it then people will either move there or people will use it more frequently. So they, if they have that as an option, um, they're going to use that. It's also been shown that it also spurs economic development. How? Um, I, mean, I mean, two questions I have there. People actually move, build a new home, buy a new home if there are bike paths there? Correct. Okay. That's, that's been shown across the country. Yeah. Huh. Okay. What about the economic development? 
So a lot of employers, because they want to hire younger people, and younger people are demanding these type of, this type of infrastructure, employers want to be where those facilities are because that attracts the younger uh, demographics. You know, uh, hiring those younger employees is a whole different topic for a show, but uh, we'll, we'll let that go for some other time. Uh, here's a question from the audience. To serve the entire city, where uh, are the real-time date? What is the real-time date for the installation of signal crossings for the blind? So um, our, current, uh, our current streetscape project that's going on around Central Market um, we'll be replacing a lot of the signals that have been determined to need audible pedestrian signals. Um, so when they do the signal work, which is expected to be this summer, um, those audible pedestrian signals will go in. Um, as part of the Mulberry Street two-way conversion project that just started up, that two-way conversion project has signal work that's, that's happening. Those signal poles will be changed. That is when audible pedestrian signals will be added in those locations. So whenever we're doing signal work, that is when, once we touch that facility, uh, we need to look at audible pedestrian signals. Central Market in downtown Lancaster is one of the biggest attractions to the city. And uh, for those who haven't been there recently, there is a lot of construction going on around there. Other than the signals, when will that project be completed? Uh, by this fall, by the end of fall, it okay. will be completed. Okay, and, and you know, it fits, the look of it fits in exactly with uh, the decor, uh, with the, the time period and everything else. It's, it, it looks like it's going to be a great looking uh, project when, it, when it's finished as well. Thanks. Yeah. It, was, it was exciting to finally get it under construction. How important is, and this is another audience question, how important is public transportation to lower income individuals? And how do you make these services uh, physically and economically accessible? Yeah, I'm not, I'm not sure that's a, that's a question that I can answer. Um, it's, we certainly feel that um, the walkability and bikeability aspects also benefit the lower income um, who might not have access. Um, so making it safer for them to bike to work um, is, certainly, um, is, is certainly an improvement for them, um, which we feel that will benefit um, that, that community. So that, you know, that's something that we are looking at specifically um, with the bike plan, um, because we feel that, uh, that those underserved communities, particularly in the southern, southern part of the city, um, have, have needs um, and that will benefit them. So, um, you know, we're also, you know, the city really has a challenge with, um, you know, being able to work with RRTA um, as a separate entity. They get federal funds. They have their requirements. So it's really hard for us to, to, to say to them, you know, you need to serve the southern part of the city more because they have their own budget constraints. You're talking about Red Rose Transit. Red Rose Transit. Mm -hmm. And that's one thing that actually, Dave, you're standing over there, uh, is how do you decide on uh, where routes will go when they start, where they end, that kind of thing. Um, you have used the word several times, and actually uh, Mayor Rick Ray talks about this very often, the word walkability. Uh, I don't know, in my mind, I have this image of people walking, talking, shopping downtown, as we used to say, or uptown. Uh, and I don't know, that it, it just goes back to a time when uh, cities everywhere was just a, a little friendlier. But 
when you're talking about walkability, how do you make a city more walkable? And I have to add that every time, as I said, Mayor Gray mentions that every time I talk to him about it, he says, I've been walking to work for 32 years. <laughs> so he likes to use himself as an example. Right. Um, well, that was one of the things I thought when we, uh, when we uh, took on the venture of doing a walkability study. I'm like, how can you make the city even more walkable? Um, but I was surprised at some of the recommendations that came out of that walkability study. It's still available on the city's website. It is really good reading. Um, but it's about making, um, making the pedestrian feel safer to walk. Um, so there are lots of places in the city where parking has been removed. Uh, to add an extra travel lane. Again, giving the preference to the motorist or to the vehicle. Um, so those, tra those um, travel lanes are often not necessary for capacity. So you can remove a travel lane, put parking back, um, which makes the pedestrian feel safer because they have that, that, um, that stagnant lane of the car buffer. cars, that yeah. buffer um, to the motorist. So they feel safer by walking. So it's just adding street trees that gives the um, pedestrian uh, a sense of more security and, and safety um, from the um, cars that are, you know, might be speeding by. Um, so that things like that, um, shortening uh, turning lanes, often the turning lanes are very long, which again removes parking. Um, so those turning lanes can be shortened because often in urban centers, you don't need that stacking um, for those cars. So there were lots of recommendations like that, um, and it was, it was really surprising how many recommendations are in there. We only have a minute or so left. I want to thank you very much for being with us today. Congestion is always an issue in a population center. Now, you have to work with PennDOT, you have to work with the county, but uh, PennDOT in particular because you do have some state routes in the city. But what can the city do to relieve automobile congestion? Well, we often, um, and, and people would be surprised how many streets in the city are PennDOT highways. Um, all the major arteries, um, Queen Street, Prince Street, Lime Street, Orange, um, King, you know, New Holland Avenue, all of those are state highways. Um, so we can often um, get grant funding through the county or the state um, to make improvements to those highways and work with PennDOT to make improvements to them. We don't have to wait for PennDOT. Um, if we want to make an improvement to those state highways. Um, so, for instance, at Plum and Walnut Street, we made that, uh, we uh, eliminated a merge lane that was causing a lot of accidents right in front of Lancaster Brewing Company. We reconfigured that and got rid of that merge lane. Um, Plum Street uh, is um, a state highway, so we had to work with PennDOT. It carries Route 23. So we had to work with PennDOT to make that improvement. But they're open to that. Uh, they want, um, you know, I'm appreciative that the state, that PennDOT is now letting locals take a more initiative on those state highways. Charlotte Katz Katzenmoyer is the Director of Public Works for the City of Lancaster. Ms. Katzenmoyer, thank you very much for being with us today. Thank you. And I want to thank everyone for tuning in today and our audience here for the very first uh, Smart Talk road trip here from uh, the Amtrak train station in the city of Lancaster. Today's Smart Talk road trip live from Oprah Broadcast is supported by Rogers and Associates and Michael's Motor Cars. And we'll thank all our guests uh, for, for joining us today. Coming up on tomorrow's program, talk a little bit about state government, the past and the future, and uh, actually uh, what's going on right now with uh, State Senator, former State Senator Franklin Curry that's coming up tomorrow.